The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. This is Dudley. Hey, good to be back with you again. We are doing this both uh, video and audio. Getting good feedback on that whole thing. Hey, a couple of things. We just finished the uh, Epic Conference, and it was really, really good. I was just telling some friends just yesterday that it reminded me of the 1980s uh, when we were having conferences that would be extended. We'd started a conference that was supposed to go three to five days and wound up going several weeks. And it was because the atmosphere was charged with an awareness of God's presence and that same kind of atmosphere at the Epic Conference. You, you don't need to let another one happen without your being there. You need to plan to be there next next year. So just put it in your plans and, and be there. Pretty soon you'll be able to get the uh, messages that were there. You may not have gotten the ones from last year. The epic, the story changes everything from last year is fabulous. It's Alan Wright, Kenny Thacker, and, and me talking about what the story is, the story of history, the story of scripture, and how it does change everything. So if you haven't gotten those, please get them. You, you'll be sorry if, if you didn't. And the two or three things coming up, I want to remind you of too also, the uh, father-son thing we've been doing 25 years or more, rite of passage, father-son, four, 14 and up, no, no upper limit. Every boy deserves to be called a man by a father. In fact, until a boy is affirmed by a man to be a father, he's never really sure. Uh, I, I wish every young man could go through a rite of passage like this. And so it's uh, first week in June. It's, uh, let's see, got a brochure right here. It's June 8th through 11th. And you need to be there. If you know somebody, help them get there. Also, in July, we do the leadership expedition. This is the, uh, it's what we do for young men 16 to 25. It, it's the most fabulous thing I've, I've ever seen as far as training men to make decisions. And so if you know a young man in that target age group, uh, recommend him to us and help him get there. It, it, it'll be it'll be monumental, I promise. We've got we've been doing this now for years also, and we've got hundreds of young men all over the world who are making a difference because they learned how to be leaders in every sphere of life. Again, I wish every young man could, could go through that. I wish every old man could go through that. These are things coming up uh, in the fall. There'll be stuff coming up. Do, are, are you familiar with our uh, website? If not, you need to get familiar with it, kerygmaventures.com. There's even an app that you could put on that all you got to do is hit it, and there you are right there getting all of our stuff. So please do that. For those of you who who have been blessed by the message we carry, and we realize it is a, it's a different message than you hear in a lot of places, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a clear, powerful, transformational presentation of the gospel. We focus on what God has done that has ramifications in our life. It, it is a, it's a very important message today. We're not the only ones hearing it, but we are 
one of the ones hearing it. And uh, those of you who have heard that and have been blessed by it, thank you for uh, your being wise enough to know that you you get you should uh, you should pay where you where you eat. You should uh, you should invest in what's blessed you, as the scripture says. Those who've taught you and everything, share with them in all good things. Uh, for for you who have invested with us financially, thank you. Thank you. And we appreciate it. We promise to use it as wisely as we can under the leadership of the Spirit of God. And we'd ask others of you to join in. Uh, when you join in, you become ownership of the message or you become owners of the message. So you become one of our partners. So, so do that, please. Okay, this month. I want to talk to you about, I just call it one big story. It's a title that I call it. It's, it's out of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And uh, it's a, quite a long text, actually. Uh, but I don't think you mind. I try, I'll try to read it well. But it's, uh, it's Paul talking about the, what, what it means to embrace the one, the one story of, of the Bible, the one story of the gospel, the one story that means everything. Let me set it up for you. We're living in a culture that demands that we accept the fact that there are many stories, not just one. That everybody's story is as valid as anybody else's story. And that anybody who doesn't accept that scenario is some kind of extremist. And so our culture is demanding that we give up on saying there's one overarching narrative. And we simply can't give up on that. There's a lot of talk today about unity. There's a lot of frustration of people who are tired of the divisiveness in politics and in the church and in society where nobody can be nice to anybody where you disagree, which tends to make a really ignorant culture because if you can't discuss things, then you're limited to your view and that's pretty narrow. So there's a lot of angst with that. And so people are saying, we need unity. We, we need did to sit down and talk about all this and whatever. Yes, but... As we do that, we must understand that unity is built around the one story, not denying the one story. There is no unity if you're just going to give up all of your distinctives and say, well, whatever you say is fine, whatever I say is fine. The only thing we got unified there is anarchy or confusion. There, there's one God, and there's one story, and there's one people of God. And when we understand that, we can sit and talk with anybody from any perspective and listen, and listen well, but we don't give up our belief that there is one God, one story, one people. In the early church, the big confusion was, is, is there one or two stories? Because God had worked in Old Testament times through Israel. 
Israel was his chosen people to do a particular task. They had a destiny. They were to be God's instrument of reflecting his glory to the world in a way that would draw in the Gentiles, the non-Jews, so that the glory of God would spread to the whole world because God loves the whole world. He doesn't just love Jews or he doesn't love just people who are following his law. He actually loves people. He loves his creation. He, he called it good. Just because sin came in and perverted it to some degree uh, doesn't mean that God lost his love for it and that he lost his intention for it to show his glory. So, so God chose Israel to be his instrument of reaching out, of sharing his glory and being his image bearer. So that, that's the Old Testament story. And then we got 400 years silence between the Old Testament and New Testament. And then we have the story of Jesus. So the question for the early church was, is that one story or two stories? We got an Israel story and a Jesus story, or do they connect in some way? Well, it is my firm belief that we have one continuous story, that the story of Jesus is a culmination, continuation, and fulfillment of the story that started in Genesis and continues on throughout eternity. And so those who you know, still contend that there's really two stories, there's a story of Israel and then there's a story of the church and the Israel story is the superior story. And so the church has a role to play right now, but eventually it'll be out of here and, and God will go back to working through Israel and the nations. That view, in my opinion, uh, robs a lot of the wealth of scripture because you read scripture in a divided sense. Is this talking to Jews? Is this talking to Christians? Is this talking to church? You know, that's not rightly dividing the word of God, by the way. That is wrongly dividing the word of God. So this text that I'm going to read to you is Paul explaining in his letter to the Corinthians, what is this one story and what is it all about and how does it affect our, our living? So I'm going to read to you and I'll try to read it well. Okay, here we go. Verse, chapter 5, verse 17, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, and now he quotes from Isaiah 49, 
In a favorable time, I listened to you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Let me just make this comment. That's a quote from a section of scripture that's talking about when God restores Israel the final time, when Israel fulfills its purpose on the earth. God says, there's coming a day when I will restore you and your destiny and you will get done what you were assigned to get done. He goes on, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And then for the next few verses, Paul goes on to talk about how this message has captured his heart and his his company of, of believers and ministers and how nothing matters. I'll read just a little bit of it. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in affliction, hardship, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, power of God, the weapons of righteousness from the right hand and the left, honor, dishonor, slander, and praise. We're treated as impostors, and yet we're, we're true, as unknown, yet we're well-known, as dying, and yet we live, as punished, but not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. You see what he's saying is this message, this story is so vital. It's so important, he said, and getting it out so that people can be reconciled to God. It is so important. Nothing matters. All of those things are trivial because we've been captured by this story. He goes on. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Or what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness or lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, and he quotes from Leviticus and Exodus, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. End quote. One more verse. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Okay, the one story that had captured Paul and his, his team and his readers and the, those who listened to him was this story of God acting in Christ Jesus to reconcile the world to himself. Not just Israel, but the whole world. So this story is about a renewed creation. 
so many people are worried about life after death. You know, what, what's going to happen when I die? And it, it's almost like this world is not important and that, that death is the big thing now that we just got to endure for a while until, until we're gone. What we need to understand is that since the garden, God has been planning, God planned a, a new creation. He planned a renewal. The flood with Noah is a uh, prototype of it. When God destroyed the world, but he started over, if you will, with Noah and his family, though in the same world, but it was a new race and, a, and it was different. That was, that was a type pointing to a future day when God would renew creation with a new race. And it was the same creation, but different. And so the whole Bible is about this new thing that he's doing. Because when God created, made a covenant with Israel, that covenant was all these promises of blessing for people who would obey the law, but they couldn't obey the law. Somebody said the old covenant was like getting a, getting the toy, but without the batteries. There's just no energy. It, it, there's nothing to, to empower a man to live up to the law. It was just the instruction of what he's supposed to do. So, so the whole Old Testament is looking forward to this time when there will be a renewal, when there will be a uh, refreshing, when there'll be some something going on. Of course. That happened. It's already happened. It happened when Jesus, who as last Adam and as ultimate Israel, died, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and was raised from the dead. He was the firstborn of the new creation. That's what these chapters are about prior to what I was, to the text I read to you. That, that Christ is a, he started a new race, a, a new people who have characteristics of a, a future that has invaded the present. You, you see, Jesus experienced in his resurrection a, a glorified body, a, a resurrected body, we should say, and that body was much like the one he had before, enough that they could recognize him on occasion, but different enough that he could walk through a wall. He could appear. Time and space did not define him or confine him. And yet he could eat fish. So, so it wasn't that, that God caused Jesus to be some kind of Gnostic figure who went to another world and we got to try to get to that other world, you know, that heaven is far off somewhere. It's that God is renewing what he already made. He likes creation, but he wants creation to work the way he designed it to work, unified in him and not alienated, separated, and isolated. And so this, this great event called the resurrection is the keystone or it's the cornerstone of the Christian message, and it it offers hope, not just hope that, that one day you you after you die, you get to go to heaven, yes, but hope that even now, because it has already happened and we are a part of it, 
that there is renewal that can go on now while we're waiting for the culmination and the consummation. So, so, so what Paul makes clear here is that when you hear the story and you embrace it, you become a part of the story and you become a partner with God, which is fulfilling what God promised to, Abraham, uh, to Adam and Eve. God made them as his partners to work the earth to, to glorify him. They were to discover what he had put in the creation and develop it. And they were to reflect God's nature to, to all of the, to all the universe. And of course, sin came in, messed all that up. Jesus has restored that. We have been now made partners with God. Paul calls us ambassadors on his behalf. And, you know, you've heard Bible studies and preachers talk about ambassador and try to make comparisons, whatever. Yeah, you represent God on the earth. The chapter six, verse one says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What does it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? You don't just get the grace of God to get free of your sin. Somebody was just mentioning to me uh, this week, uh, since it's around Easter, uh, about several messages they'd heard on Barabbas. You know, he's the one that got turned loose because Pilate presented the choice to the Jewish leaders and said, you can turn loose, turn loose Barabbas, who's a, he's a, a rebel, a subversive, a criminal. Uh, sure, you're not going to turn him loose. Or you can turn loose Jesus. I think Pilate was fully expecting him to turn loose Jesus because there was no comparison. And unexpectedly, they said, turn loose Barabbas. Well, Barabbas gets surprised because somebody walks in and unlocks the door and says, you're free. Well, what a joy to be free. And we say, well, yeah, isn't that great? That's like us. You know, Jesus set us free. Well, there's a difference. Barabbas' freedom was incomplete. You see, he was free, but he wasn't changed. There's no, there's nothing that would let us believe that he didn't wind back up in jail 30 days later. He was freed from the jail that he was in, but he was not freed from who he was. There was no new creation with him. And here's the mystery of the one story thing, the gospel. When you believe it, when you, in, when you hear it, it inevitably captures your heart and makes you an ambassador. You become a partner with God. It, it becomes getting that message out through your life and through your lips and every other way becomes priority. Otherwise, you're receiving the grace of God in vain. You, you're, you're like Israel in, in her stubbornness. She thought she was selected by God because she was God's favorite and, and, and it was her, it was her qualities that made God pick her. But it was God who chose her to, to be an instrument of glory. And so if, if we think, you know, we're just set free so we can be free, we're free from our sin, free from our shame, that's all, that's good. But, but you're freed from living a meaningless life. You're freed from measuring your life by the metrics of this culture. It, it doesn't matter really 
in the long run, how much money you've made or how many positions you have or what kind of accolades you've gotten. If in fact you are not demonstrating this, this new story in your life. If you hear it, if you receive the grace of God fully, you become an instrument of that, of the message. You become an ambassador of God. You realize that the way the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea is through human instrumentality that God is using us. It, it, it gives us a great sense of purpose, a great sense of meaning that we are part of that whole thing, that we're partners with God. And that's not something we put off to the future, not if you believe the story is one. Now, if you believe that we're just living in some kind of parentheses right now and that the real stuff's going to happen later after Jesus returns again, then you, you are putting off to a future things that Paul said is now. Now, I mentioned when I was reading the text that this quote in the first part of chapter six, in a favorable time, I listened to you in a day of salvation, I've helped you. That, that's in a text in Isaiah where Isaiah is predicting and prophesying the future restoration of Israel. It's in that, in that context that he says, I will say to the north and to the south, to the east and the west, and people will come and they won't all be just scattered Jews. Yes, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom will come together, but there'll be people who will be saying, I was born in Jerusalem people who weren't, people who were Gentiles, people who had no covenant rights, no promises of God, they'll be brought in. That's what, that's what Israel was supposed to do. And Israel in its fulfillment does that. Well, when does that happen? He said, well, sometime in the future. No, it's already happened. Jesus as Israel, taking Israel's place, did what God had told Israel to do. So he was a servant to the circumcised of scriptures. He was servant to Israel. So the, the time is now. The promises that were made are fulfilled. They're, they're not promises for, for the future that have not yet been fulfilled. They're promises that, that are already fulfilled. So Interesting here in verse, uh, let's see, six, uh, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols for? We are the temple of the living God. Who is the we? He's writing to the Corinthians. Paul himself was Jewish in his background, but he's, he's saying, we, I as a converted Jew, you as a converted Gentile, we are part of the temple of the living God. There's nothing more Jewish than the temple. That was, it was the center point of their whole life. And yet Paul is saying, in this day, in this day of renewal, in the new creation, we are building blocks in the temple of the living God. And then he quotes, starting with Leviticus, and then picking up several other Old Testament references, he quotes some promises that God made. Now here they are. I will make my dwelling among you and I'll walk among them and I'll be their God. They'll be my people. I'll be a father and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Now notice, notice what he says. 
since we, we converted Jews and converted Gentiles, have these promises, you know, you hear what he's saying? What he's saying is we Christians are the recipients of God's promises to Israel. These are promises made to, to, to Jewish people. But we are the fulfillment. So the story of Israel is fulfilled in the Gentiles being included. And that happened because of the, because of the Christ event. That happened in Christ. He was the firstborn of a new creation. And all who are born again of the Spirit are that people of God. There's one God. There's one story. There's one people. And we can claim those promises. So let's, let's look at these promises that he made to them. I will, I will make my dwelling among them. I, I will live in their presence. So God has always wanted to live with his people. We were designed for his presence. Adam and Eve were in the presence of God. When they sinned, they separated themselves from God. God doesn't give up, however. He does the tabernacle thing. He says, build me, a, build me a tent just like yours because I want to live with you. I want to be with you. The temple where there was a holy of holies where God could meet with his people. No other religion has that. No other religion is where the God, gods of the heavens want to associate with the people on earth. All other religions, the gods are in the heavens and they stay in the heavens. But our God wants to live with us. And so presence is such an important thing. So, so the temple becomes the, the big issue. And then Jesus comes along and he is the final temple. He is where God, where heaven meets earth. He is where man and God share life, the incarnation, God, the son in Jesus, God, Jesus, the son of man. So and then the, the big shocker is that the people of Jesus, those who believe in Jesus become the temple, the body of Christ expressing the glory of God in, in the earth and going about doing what Jesus assigned humans to do. So, so he said, I will, I, will, I will do that. That's my promise, I'll do that. And he says, I'll be their God and they'll be my people. To, uh, this is covenant language. And what he's saying is, I'll, I'll do what gods do and gods protect, gods provide. Nothing will is stronger than I. I'll fight your battles, uh, but I'll use you. I'll fight them through you. I'll protect you. Uh, I will provide for you like a father does his children. A father doesn't say to his children, y'all go out and look after, look after me. He says, no, I, that's my job. I, I'll do what fathers do. And you'll be sons and daughters. The, the distinction here being, you're not going to be just subjects in a kingdom, and you're certainly not just going to be servants in the house, and you're certainly not going to be slaves in the prison. You're going to be sons and daughters. Who, who did he use that language for? Israel. I call my son out of Egypt, he says. David. He's my son, and one of his sons will always sit on the throne. Adam, he's a son. You and I, at some point, 
become sons of God. When is that? When does he start dwelling with his people? Is that in our future? When does he become our God and we become his people? When do we have covenant intimacy with God? Well, Paul says, now. Now is the day of salvation. The new, the new creation has been launched. You're in it. The third one is, oh, I've already talked about that. I'll be their father and, and sons. I'll be their father and they'll be my sons and daughters. So the, the point that Paul is making here is these promises that were made to Israel are, are, have been fulfilled in these Gentiles at Corinth some of which, not many, some of which are converted Jews, most of which are just Gentiles who've come to Christ and have become the fulfillment of what God had intended. And it's these promises that God has made that are now our promises and that we can, we can live as God designed Adam and Eve to live and as he wanted Israel to live. So, Here's what I want you to see. It's good to have promises because that gives you hope. Somebody promises you they're going to give you a million dollars. But if that person is trustworthy, uh, that's a good thing. I mean, it's like, really? You're going to give me a million dollars? Yeah. Sometime in the near future, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Well, I could say that would produce a little lightheartedness in you, a little joy in you, a little hope in you, a little expectations like, wow, be able to pay off some bills. That'd be nice. But it hadn't happened yet. So promises made by a faithful promiser creates faith, hope, joy, all that kind of stuff. But what if the promise has already been fulfilled? What if you say to me, you know those, that million dollars I promised you? I put it in your bank yesterday. Now, the right thing to do is not to just rejoice in the possibility of the potential, but to start drawing on it. I, I need to start living in light of a fulfilled promise. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, these promises have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God has made his dwelling among you. The Holy Spirit has come to live among you and in you. And just like Israel was guided by the cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night, the Holy Spirit will guide you. He will lead you. He will make known to you that you're a son of God. He will make known to you that you have access to the Father. He will make as Jesus said, he will make the Father and me real to you. We will come to you and make ourselves known to you, Jesus said in John 14, 15, 16. So that's happened. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait till Jesus quote, comes back in order to dwell among us. He already is. Well, what about the, uh, I'll be their God and they'll be my people. He already is. He has said, I will be your people. I want you working with me. This project we're working on, this, this reconciliation project, this, this announcement of what I have done in history that, that, I was, that I have taken 
mankind's sin and I put it on Jesus and Jesus becomes sin so that I can give to them righteousness so they can relate to me the way I created them to relate to me. This project, it, it's on now. And you, you're a part of this. I'm, I'm your God, you're my people, and we work together. We're, we're partners in this whole thing. And, and then the third one, that's already happened. And so we can live it out. And the third one, I'll be your father and you shall be sons and daughters. I mean, how badly does that need to be heard and believed? How, how many fatherless people do we continue to have? And how, how much do we continue to suffer from the father wound in our culture, in our society? Because so many people have no idea what a real father is like. When they see anyone close to that, they feel drawn like a magnet to them. And the scripture is saying that God has said, now, you don't have to wait until some other event. Now, I'll be a father to you. I, I have sent my spirit and he cries, Abba, Father, inside of you. So you can know God as father. And regardless of what's happening in your family, whether you had a good father, bad father, in-between father, you can have a perfect father who who's not just off in a distance somewhere. He has come to dwell among you, live in you, and make himself real to you. You can actually know the Father, and you can live in the benefits of being a son. Now, here's what he says. Since we have these promises, fulfill promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Okay, what does that mean? That means if Jesus has come and he has paid for our sins, we do not need to live with guilt over our sins and to be sin, self, sin conscious. We don't, we don't have to be shamed anymore. We don't have to be afraid of, of being real. We don't have to be covering up anything. Our, our shame is taken care of. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. We are already God's people. It's not based on anything we do, God's already done it. You can't change it. Jesus has already come. He's already died. He's already been resurrected. He's already ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's already sent the Holy Spirit. That's not dependent upon how good you are. It was dependent upon the mercy of God, and it's done. So having these fulfilled promises, cleanse yourselves from any defilement. You, you just appropriate what he has done. So well, that sounds so easy. Why is it so hard? Well, because you see, we've got an adversary. We've got an enemy who does, does, who desperately does not want you living in that kind of freedom. He desperately wants you thinking that you are in a battle to please God and to earn your way with God. And so he's continually using the law to accuse you using your sins to disqualify you, using your shame to paralyze you. And he continually whispers things into our ears that we hear about what we need to do in order to qualify for some blessing of God. And sadly, this message of the enemy is reinforced, sadly, too many times in the pulpit where a well-meaning proclaimer will challenge you to do do more, work harder, try harder, be more sincere, clean up your life, all that kind of stuff. 
your battle is to believe the truth as opposed to a lie, just like it always has been, starting in the garden. And the truth is, God's promises that he made the fathers have been fulfilled in Christ. You don't have to wait anymore for them. Is there something else in the future? Yes. On these days, you're going to die. And if you're in Christ, you're going to go be with Christ. There's going to come the great resurrection when you get a resurrected body. And the, there'll be the, there, they'll, they'll come a, as uh, after that will be a, a whole completed new creation, new heaven and new earth. But you can go ahead and live in the new created reality, new creation reality now while you're waiting for all of that. The promises that are in our future are simply a culmination of the promises that are already fulfilled. They're fulfilled in Christ. If they're not fulfilled in Christ, they can't be fulfilled because you cannot qualify to get one of God's promises. You can't do the if part, if you will. Only Christ can do that. And so you can live based on the fulfilled promises of God. And doing that, you complete holiness. What does that mean? It means you complete what you were called to do, which is what? Enjoy God, represent God on the earth, be an ambassador of his project, if you will, of reconciliation, and that you, you're part of being a part of the renewal that is underway right now by participating as one of God's partners as a son and daughter. So there's one story. There's one God. There's one people. That story, when believed, captures you and begins to empower you so that you are now not only freed from sin, but you're a servant of Christ, and that's true freedom. Now, I want to pray for you. Thank you, Father, for, for the word. Thank you for the freedom of the gospel. Thank you for letting us hear it. Thank you that when we hear it, hope is stirred in our heart. Faith comes alive. I thank you for those who today will believe, maybe for the first time, that what you've done has set us free, really free. And I pray that hope and faith and love would arise in every heart. In Jesus' name. Well, this is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures. I look forward to studying with you next time. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.